Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, some premiers claim the federal government's attempts at travel restrictions are political theater. I do enough, uh, you know, uh, judgment or, or reflection on, on federal government decisions. Listen, this is a uh, uh, this this is a time for us to come together across this nation. We have a we have a challenge in front of us yet again. The prime minister releases new mandate letters for cabinet ministers. There was a focus on. You know, urging his ministers to really focus on tangible results and keep their eye on the prize. Um, you know, and he's expecting every minister to come up with an actual implementation plan. And two Ontario cities pledged to contribute financially to the legal fight against Bill 21. It is my um, firm belief uh, that we can't allow the defense of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the defense of religious freedom, to lie in the backs of racialized communities. It's not a fair fight when you have racialized communities struggling to uh, defend the Canadian Charter. It's Friday, December 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So let's start by talking about where we stand in uh, the fight against COVID. I I think we're in a place that a lot of Canadians were hoping we would not be again, which is with rising infection rates, uh, warnings about travel, uh, closures and and restrictions on the number of people who can gather in some parts of the country. Um, Where do you see this going? And, And what do you think about the debate that has started? Because some provinces are saying the federal government's restrictions on travel have amounted to political theater. There are already people talking about whether lockdowns and further measures are necessary, what else we need to do. So what do you think about this place we've arrived at once again with Christmas approaching? I think once again is a key word, you know, or a key phrase. I mean, here we go again, you know, you ask where we stand and it feels like quicksand, right? I I think there's a lot of pandemic fatigue going on. I think people really believed and were told that once we had vaccines in Canada, that life would really start to go back to normal. And you know, it has in sort of, you know, ups and downs over the past few months. Um, people have been, you know, resuming things, activities, some people have been going back to work and schools have, you know, remained open um, through the fall, for example. But, you know, I think people were really looking forward to the holidays and being able to travel and spend time with family. And we had that, you know, great news for many families of the kids' vaccines coming in for ages 5 to 11. And that that sort of uh, high was so short-lived because along came Omicron, right? And and now I feel like we're all slipping back um, into it. And, and, and I think that there's, there's a lot of... Um, you know, questions about, there's a lot that's unknown about this virus. We know that it's highly, highly transmissible, um, and so that's a problem, but there's a lot of unknowns over the severity of it and and how it affects people with vaccines. And and so I think, um, you know, people are being asked to once again do this, to do their part and to and to trust the public health officials and the advice and everything, and I, and I think people have a lot of questions and I think there's some concerns over how how effective the messaging will be um and you know on on the this federal travel advisory you know I think it's it's one of the few things really that I guess the federal government does have any actual control over right um is is things like borders and travel so um you know so I I can definitely see the argument how 
if they're saying that Omicron is here, um, just like is everywhere in the world, then then what what does travel really matter, right? Um, and there was some interesting, uh, I don't want to call it tension, but, uh, you know, when the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer the other day, Dr. Howard New, was asked, you know, to talk about the evidence um, of a travel advisory and travel measures, and and he says, you know, public health officials put forward advice based on science and decision makers, well, they have some other considerations um, that come into play as well, which was an interesting way of saying mm. that I'm not sure I fully <laughs> yeah. endorse this, you know, um, and, and so that was an interesting thing to see, but, but I think, you know, it, there are other things that can be done and must only be done by the provinces, and that's things like bringing in those restrictions that are so hard for people to to welcome back, really, yeah. right? And, and we are seeing some of that. You know, yesterday Quebec Premier Francois Legault came out, and he's you know reducing capacity in bars, stores, restaurants, places of worship, for example. Um, so yeah. we are starting to see some of that that now as well. Yeah, the Montreal Canadiens game last night uh, was played in front of zero fans, as one example. Right. So uh, we are likely going to see more of that in the days ahead. Um, all right, let's turn to the mandate letters that were finally given to cabinet ministers yesterday. Um, and this is this is something that has had previously been a bit of a hallmark of the Trudeau government since it was elected six years ago that these mandate letters would be shared with the public. Um, and yet it took a long time for them to get written and distributed this time around. A lot of people were waiting to see when they would come out, and, and here they are being released in the final days of, of uh, 2021. So um, what did you think about the timing of this, and, and what came out of the letters themselves? I think the timing of this, um, I saw it very much um, as something similar to what we saw with the fiscal update earlier this week, where it was clear that so much had changed, um, and, and in really short order. And you know, I, I think there is there's very much still a focus on COVID being a big part of it. So I think that may have played a role in, in delaying things. But there's also, I found interesting, there is almost um, a sense of urgency in the sense that the prime minister is telling his cabinet ministers, okay, there's COVID happening, we're still in a pandemic, we have to focus on that. But let's also not lose sight of the big picture. We have this big ambitious agenda that we promised during the the election campaign in our platform, and we still want to deliver on that. So there was a focus on, um, you know, urging his ministers to really focus on tangible results and keep their eye on the prize, Um, you know, and he's expecting every minister to come up with an actual implementation plan, reporting to the public their progress, um, and, and it really seemed that, you know, at the Canadian Press, we had an interview with the Prime Minister yesterday, and, and he was talking about how, you know, it's not just about saying the government spent $10 million on a program, it's, it's showing what that $10 million actually did. And he was really talking about the need to, I guess, show the positive role that government can actually play in people's lives. But it's interesting because at the same time, you know, if you remember, I'm sure you do, but, you know, back in 2015 and shortly thereafter, Trudeau and his team around him were really into this concept called liberology. Yeah. Um, and they hired this, you know, British consultant to come in, Sir Michael Barber, 
they set up a results and delivery unit, the Privy Council office, and they even launched a website to report progress to Canadians on those mandate letters, and that actually has not been updated since 2019, right? So, so this is not a new thing, saying we need to report on our progress, but there is just sort of a, a sense of, okay, there are some really big things we still need to get done. I don't want to put words in the Prime Minister's mouth and talk about this being sort of a, a legacy mandate letter, right? But but that sort of came mm. to mind to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was... Um, he had previously always said, there's no more relation, there's no relationship more important to me than the one between Canada and Indigenous peoples. And now he talked about how the discovery of unmarked graves at residential schools showed really how important it is to move much more quickly on reconciliation. He wrote about climate change as an existential threat. Um, and, and we're seeing National Pharmacare Program back on the table. Um, you know, that was something they had talked about. It's something that's an important priority for the NDP. It was virtually absent from the election campaign uh, this summer and fall, and, and now it's in the health minister's mandate letter. So I think uh, they recognize that they've made some big promises over the past six years, and perhaps the clock is ticking on when they can actually do some of those much bigger things. Yeah, and uh, certainly lots of events have gotten in the way, uh, understandably. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's interesting to see that the, the many uh, ambitious components of of the agenda still included in them. So uh, we'll continue to watch that. So let's talk about Bill Twenty One, Joanna, because uh, since the the removal of a school teacher in Western Quebec, um, there there has been an interesting reaction, and it's been fascinating to watch how this has played out. Federal politicians have been reluctant to weigh in on this issue and talk about whether the federal government can and will participate in any sort of court challenge against this. But people at other levels of government, interestingly, are weighing in. There are schools uh, in Ontario, for example, that are that are sending messages of support to the teacher. And there are municipal politicians now who are offering to to support any type of court challenge. So it's I find it really interesting to see what's happening and and I wonder if if that if that kind of momentum is going to put pressure on federal politicians to get involved in this issue, one that they're they seem to be reluctant to get involved in. I, I think so, and I think we're seeing a shift in the major party caucuses as well. We've had some conservative MPs come out and say that, you know, uh, I think the position of, of the leader to, to not intervene uh, should be changed. We've had uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh come out this week and, and sort of uh, shift his uh, position on whether or not intervention is something that should be done. Um, and we have uh, Liberal MPs as well coming out. So I think, and, and I think that Justin Trudeau himself has, um, you know, he was very strong in 2015 against the NICAP ban, ban uh, proposed NICAP ban. And then yet during the past election, he's always said that he was against uh, the secularism law um, and he'd left the door open to federal intervention. But I've noticed the past few days his language has been much stronger. And I remember the last time we talked, it was about this one case that I think was really in Western Quebec was really probably going to become a, a flashpoint. You know, this law has been around for a couple of years, but suddenly you have an actual person with something very much real at stake, um, their job, and, and everyone, especially outside Quebec, being able to, to say, like, oh, wait, like, actual people, right? This affects actual people, and, and it's just sort of a, become a bit of a flashpoint. So um, in, our, in our interview with, with Trudeau yesterday, we, we did ask him about, about that, um, and, you know, he, 
he did offer sort of a really nuanced uh, position. Like he said, clearly he he is against it, um, and he thinks you know that people in Quebec and outside Canada are starting to think about. You know, he said Canada's a secular place, Quebec's a secular place, um, and and yet people are starting to think. Well, wait a minute, is it logical? for someone to have to change, to choose between their religion and their job. And why are we assuming that someone's religion, visible, um, you know, a visible symbol of their religion would affect their job? Are we also saying that just holding that religion would not? So that was, that was sort of interesting. I just he's been stronger on it recently. Um, and then we asked him actually about you know, the notwithstanding clause, which the Quebec government has invoked preemptively um, to deal with Bill 21 and prevent it from being challenged. And and uh, he actually said that he shares his, his father, Pierre Trudeau's, uh, disdain for the notwithstanding clause. He says, you know, it was not intended to be used preemptively. Um, and the idea that using it would come at a political cost to any government that would, would you know, hasn't really borne out. And he said... It's basically a loophole that allows the majority to override fundamental rights of minorities. So we asked them, okay, well then are you are you open to going to the Supreme Court to seek a reference and, and you know, to look at its its use being um preemptive use, examine it there. And he didn't he didn't rule that out actually and said that, you know, there's there's reflections going on on that point. So that was interesting to hear. All right. Great stuff, Joanna. Thank you very much for joining us today on our final episode of two thousand twenty one. All the best to you over the holidays, and we'll talk to you in the new year. Happy New Year. Well, not yet, I guess. See you in the new year, Mark. Thank you. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. After having spent half a trillion dollars, the Liberal government is celebrating a massive $144 billion deficit. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At iPolitics, Alan Freeman argues the federal government is everyone's sugar daddy. Freeman writes, Considering the scale of the periodic shutdowns of the economy since March of 2020, it's remarkable how robust the recovery has been. Much of this is due to Ottawa's largesse. The federal government has turned into everyone's sugar daddy. To put it simply, as a society, we've borrowed massively through the federal government to get us out of the deep abyss created by COVID-19, mortgaging our futures at a particularly sensitive time for the globe, with the costs of climate change and its mitigation already looming. In the Toronto Star, Charles Smedmore argues Christia Freeland's financial update is encouraging, but the successes are tenuous. Smedmore writes, A December budget update is like basting a turkey. The outcome can be tweaked, but not substantially changed. Christia Freeland's economic update tells us that our fiscal 2022 turkey will be more palatable financially than previously expected. Overall, federal finances are in a much better state than in April. However, the recovery is tenuous. All eyes will be on Freeland for any update revisions and the spring 2022 budget. In the National Post, Randall Denley argues the booster shot is the best hope we have in the relentless battle against COVID-19. Denley writes, None of the public health measures commonly deployed are capable of containing the predicted case numbers. Compared to the size of the anticipated threat, they are the equivalent of sandbagging the beach in the face of a tsunami. The best hope that we have is the COVID booster shot. This has been a discouraging week. 
But remember that if you have two shots of vaccine, you are unlikely to get severely ill, although there is a chance you will get COVID. If you have three shots, you will probably be fine. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings, and Immigration Minister Sean Fraser will make an announcement on immigration in Atlantic Canada. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, December 17th. And that's our final edition this year. We will be back in January when Parliament resumes. Until then, thank you for listening and have a great holiday season.